Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. fourth service talking about some life lessons in the life of Moses and uh, we have just been taking a a journey together we've been considering many many um, of the miraculous things that happened at the hand of Moses we have already in our study we have uh, watched him high and successful and uh, we have watched him very very low and uh We pray that the Lord will help us to somehow just glean from this a few things that we can apply to our own lives, our own situations. And I believe that God is helping us to see some things to make us understand that that in in the common thread of human life, that we all face very similar things, very similar things. Moses was a very significant and is a very significant character in the Bible and we have gleaned from his life and uh, those that were affected by his life. As I said in our very first lesson or our very first, uh, our very first service about this, that when we think about Moses often, our mind just goes to the Old Testament. That's kind of where we are introduced to him and so we most of the time just leave him right there and consider him to be an Old Testament character. And while that's true, uh, he is mentioned more times in the New Testament than any other Old Testament character. Some 80 mentions or references to Moses. And so a man who not only influenced his generation and not only left footprints in the sand of his day, but obviously he cast a shadow ahead of him that was very, very significant. And uh, it's interesting to look at his life. We've talked about the fact that that Moses' life could be divided into three 40-year periods, 40 years of being in Pharaoh's court, 40 years of being in the desert, and then the final 40 years of his life being used of God. Or as one author put it, 40 years finding out he was someone, 40 years finding out he was no one, and 40 years of finding out that God can take no one, someone that thought he was, a man that thought he was somebody, found out he was nothing and really used him. And you know what? Today we're, we're finding a common chord in that because there are some people in here this morning that would consider themselves no one, but God has made something out of them. And I'm thankful for that testimony. When we last left him, we find Moses demanding for the release of the children of Israel, of course, Pharaoh was not willing to do this just at the summons of Moses. It doesn't matter how authoritatively that Moses said, let my people go. Pharaoh denied that request. And so whatever picture that Moses had in his mind of how this was going to unfold, it certainly did not happen in a positive sense. And so God began to send various judgments against Egypt. And these judgments, even though we read them, Um, as we read the story of the plagues that came upon Egypt, some seven plagues, 
they look almost random in nature. We, we, uh, we find one thing right after the other. But I want to really underline today that these were not random judgments or plagues at all. But these judgments were specifically aimed. The casual reader may just seem, see this as just a series of events. But I'll promise you those in Egypt and certainly Pharaoh himself understood clearly what God was trying to say. The judgments were specifically aimed and they were specifically aimed at the false gods of Egypt. In Egypt, they worshiped millions of gods and so it wouldn't be hard to find one. Uh, you name it, they worshiped it. And so the Egyptians to them, to the Egyptians, almost everything had a measure of deity to it. And so the Lord sent plagues against these specific gods that he might use that as a way to change Pharaoh's mind. And so when we read down through this, and I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on each one of them, but when we read down through these, I, I can scarcely imagine in my own heart how we could just get past number one and there would not be an incredible 180-degree change, an absolute surrender of Moses or of Pharaoh saying, I'm sorry, God, and just have your will and do your way. But, you know, we see in this the, the, uh, the nature that is within us because Pharaoh was made of the same thing that you and I are made of today. And so as we look at some life lessons from the life of Moses, we are introduced to Pharaoh, and so we can find some life lessons here. And so no matter what someone has done in their life, no matter how, uh, how much they have rejected God or no matter how much evil is presented in their life, there's something that we ought to always understand, that we're made of the same thing. So that potential, that proclivity is right there in us. And so we have to be very careful that we keep ourselves under subjection to the power and the presence of God. Now, I know that may kind of go against the grain a little bit because we would never see ourselves as evil as some people perhaps that we read about in the newspaper or some people that have filled various slots in our, in, in our history of how evil they are. But we need to understand that we're made of the same thing. That nature, that ability is right there and left unchecked. We could find ourselves in just a short span of time completely unrecognizable from the person that we are today. And so let's look at these judgments as God directs Moses here first off to go stand by the Nile River and on the bank of the river and wait for Pharaoh. And then he said, you tell Pharaoh that he has been sent by God to deliver the Israelites. Now, this is not the first time he's heard this message, but he's reminding him, I am here to deliver the Israelites. In Exodus 7 and 19, the Bible says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying to Aaron, Take thy rod and stretch out thy hand upon the waters of Egypt, upon their streams, upon their rivers, upon their ponds, and upon all their pools of water. Now, this is pretty specific, so watch this, that they may become blood and that there may be blood throughout all the land of Egypt both in the vessels of wood and in the vessels of stone and Moses and Aaron did so as the Lord commanded and he lifted up the rod and smote the waters that were in the river in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants and all the waters that were in the river were turned to blood and all the fish that were in the river died and the river stank and the Egyptians could not drink the water of the river, and there was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. And wouldn't you think that's a perfect moment to surrender? <laughs> 
We got it. I understand you're not playing games. But we have to understand the nature of man and we have to understand the vile nature of paganism. So deeply steeped in his heart. Verse 22 is somewhat perplexing because the scripture says, and the magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments. Because you remember, whenever Moses cast his rod down, it became a serpent. Well, the, the magicians of Egypt just cast their rods down and they became a serpent. So they're mimicking the things that are going on. And so when the water was turned to blood, Pharaoh's, the Bible says the magicians did so with their enchantments and Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Neither did he hearken unto them as the Lord had said. And Pharaoh turned and went to his house. Neither did he set his heart to it. And so here is the Nile River that was regarded as a, a god to the ancient Egyptians. Not only that, it was, it was regarded as a god, but not only that, the Nile River was a basic source of sustenance. They used this water for everything, for cooking, bathing, cleaning, drinking. And so this wasn't just somewhere to go and relax. This was, this was a part of their everyday work. And so to strike the Nile River was to strike at the very heart of Egypt and to show that their so-called God, the God of the Nile, had no power to help them. And so now we see that the scripture says that Pharaoh's magicians were able to duplicate that miracle. This is a little bit confusing and, and to some degree because the Bible is so specific about how that all the water was turned. And so some uh, historians suppose that new wells were uh, were dug, new water was found, and that they replicated that miracle again. However, to me, it's somewhat strange. Wouldn't you think that if they were going to do something real miraculous, if they were going to really do something to shine or outshine Aaron and his rod, that they would have struck the water and turned it back from blood to water? <laughs> so I know what we'll do. We'll just make matters worse. The nature of man. The nature of man. When things couldn't get any worse, man steps in and says, I know what I can do. We can compound the problem. Amen. We'll just make more bloody water. And, and, uh, and so we're finding some life lessons here that if we're not careful that when God speaks and we don't heed, we're only going to make matters worse. Pharaoh refuses to budge. He is becoming more and more entrenched. It's a bizarre story in verse number five of chapter eight. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying to Aaron, stretch forth thy hand with thy rod over the streams, over the rivers, over the ponds, and cause frogs to come upon the land of Egypt. And Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up, covered the land of Egypt, and, the magi and, and again, the magicians did so with their enchantments and brought up frogs upon the land of Egypt. Again, the frogs were another God. And so God, Jehovah God, is trying to prove that I have power over your gods. Amen. Now, this one got Pharaoh's attention, oddly enough. It's sort of fascinating, again, in and of itself, because the Nile River being turned to blood, he just got mad about it. And you would think that he would understand the economic and the, uh, the economic impact this is going to have against Israel or against Egypt. This is going to affect everyone. But somehow the frogs uh, got to him. And Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron in verse number eight and said, he said, entreat the Lord. Entreat the Lord that he may take away the frogs from me and from my people and I will let the people go. He said, if you'll just ask the Lord to take away the frogs. That was his request. 
Oddly enough, if you read the scripture, he was willing to spend one more night with them. <laughs> Amen. I would think I'd want deliverance from that right now, but he was willing to do that just if you get around to it sometime tomorrow. If you could take care of that, that's another message for another day. But nevertheless, entreat the Lord that he may take away the frogs from me and I and from my people and I will let the people go. And Moses prayed and the frogs, and the frogs died. But interestingly enough, God did not take them away. He did not take them away. The frogs remained. The dead frogs remained at the river. And the Bible says that the land stank. Now, I don't want to be too gross here, but I think maybe to help me in my own mind, in my sermon illustration the other day, uh, just one day this week, we had a frog that died just outside of our back door, and I, I didn't realize that. Perhaps it was run over by something, and I started smelling something. that, And I walked out, and it was just one frog, just one frog. And uh, maybe the Lord didn't have anything to do with that, but nevertheless, it drove the point home in my heart that if this land is covered with dead frogs, this would be a horrible, horrible thing. When he saw it, he said, I just want you to help me, help me somehow. In verse number 15, when Pharaoh saw that there was respite or when he saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart. Wouldn't you think again, this is another opportunity to let the Lord see a tender side of you. And he hearkened not unto them as he had said unto the Lord. I got to cover quickly these because we have a good distance to go here. But we find now that the plague of lice. And so God produced these from the dust, from the very dust. He said, I want you to take and strike the dust. And from the dust came the lice and they plagued man and beast alike. Now, this was a direct judgment again because they worshiped the desert and the desert sand. So they looked at the desert dust and it turned into lice. That God that they worshiped now had been turned and succumbed by the power of Jehovah to something else. And so the plagues are getting progressively worse and worse. The plague on the Nile was a blow to everyone, but somehow people adapted. The people, the frogs were a horrible nuisance, but no, no life was lost. It was just an inconvenience. And so the lice was that noisome pestilence, those things that you couldn't get away from. Interestingly here, Pharaoh's magicians did not duplicate this, that of the lice. Perhaps at this point, or perhaps up to this point, they just assumed Moses and Aaron to be nothing more than just mere magicians as as they were. And maybe they just thought, you know, we're just in the same game here. However, they began to realize, the magicians began to realize something larger is at play here. And we would have thought that perhaps there would have been a revelation of this much earlier on. But in verse number 19, they said, they said, this is the finger of God. God is in this. We had better back off somewhere. How did Pharaoh react? The Bible says that his heart grew even more hard. He did not heed them just like the Lord said that his heart would grow hard. The plague of the flies. This is the first plague now as we enter in that did not strike or did not affect the children of Israel as well as the Egyptians. Amen. From this plague forward, the children of Israel were spared from the devastation that was going to happen. Now, you see, up to now, everything that had affected that had affected the Egyptians had affected the Israelites. They were affected by the Nile River. They were affected by uh, all the, the frogs. They were affected by the stench of that. And so sometimes, 
Here's something we ought to take away from this, that the children of God are going to suffer right along beside unbelievers when things like natural disasters happen. You know, we're not spared from that. Not altogether spared from that. It doesn't matter how full of the Holy Ghost you are, there are some things that may happen in your life just because the Bible says that it rains on the just and the unjust. And so there are some times that we're going to suffer right along with every everyone else. But there are times whenever God preserves and protects his people. And so here's what we need to understand and what we need to take away from that. That whether we're suffering or whether we're being protected is not a definite sign of our being in right relationship with God. Amen. We, we may be rained on just like the unjust. That doesn't mean we're in sin. Doesn't mean something horrible is going on in our life. Or sometimes the blessings of God or the protection of God doesn't mean that we're all together in right relationship. It may just be God's mercy that is on us. Amen? And so I want to always understand that. I want to make sure I'm in right relationship with him between my heart and heaven and not just looking at how things are going in my life. Because when it's times of plenty, you may think everything's all right and it's not all right. In times of famine, we may think everything's all wrong when it's not all wrong at all. It's just that season of time. And so as we go from the fourth plague on, the Lord protected his people, and that's interesting. The Bible says in Exodus 8 and 22, and I will sever in that day the land of Goshen in which my people dwell, that no swarms of flies shall be there. To the end thou mayest know that I am the Lord, I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. Exodus 24, just a couple of verses later, said a grievous swarm a grievous swarm of flies came into the house of Pharaoh and into his servants' houses and into the land of Egypt and the land was corrupted by reason of the swarm of flies. Amen, this hit everywhere except the land of Goshen where God's people were. Pharaoh realizes at this point that he is outmanned. He is outgunned. Amen, he realizes that God is God, but he still doesn't give up easy. It seems like that, that Pharaoh is ready to negotiate, but all things are not what they appear to be at first glance. He realizes that he can't stand up to the Lord God of Israel. His magicians can no longer duplicate the miracles as they have been doing in times past. Therefore, the enemy, Pharaoh himself, changes his strategy. Amen. Here's some life lessons. We must realize that the enemy, if he can't get you one way, he will just repackage the same deal and come in another door. In Exodus 8 and 25 through verses 28, Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron to sacrifice to, the, to their God in the land. But Moses refused to do that. He said, Moses said, no, we're not going to sacrifice to our God here, but we will go three days journey and we will sacrifice to the Lord because that's what the Lord said to do. And so we're not going to do it here. We're going three days away. So Pharaoh finally somewhat seems to acquiesce to this and he says, well, go sacrifice to the Lord God in the wilderness. But he said, only, only don't go very far away. And then he says, intercede or pray. The word used in the King James Version is entreat. 
So he said, entreat for me or intercede for me or pray for me. Now that's an odd request from a man who is doing everything within his power to prove his power and his God and, and, to, and to kill and destroy and to, uh, to come down hard upon the lives of, of, of the children of Israel. And so he said, you can go, but don't go very far away. And then he says, by the way, pray for me. So what is Pharaoh saying? I think that we should look at this scripture in two parts because there's two points here. He said, go ahead and go, but stay in Egypt. Go ahead, do your sacrifice, but just don't go too far. Just stay kind of close. I mean, I want to just say today and not trying to insult anyone's intelligence here that this is the very anatomy of compromise. Amen. That's why we've got to guard our heart against the spirit of compromise. God specifically told Moses, you put as much distance as you can between yourself and Egypt. And so what we find Pharaoh doing is just lengthening the cord, but he didn't, he didn't sever the cord. Amen. He just lengthened the cord. Can I tell you that, that to a degree, the devil doesn't care how many services you come to. He doesn't care how many, how much you attend church. He's not threatened by that. If you'll just be a non-participant, if you'll just sit there and not get involved and let the Lord do any work in your life or God's word change your life, it doesn't matter. Uh, He'd just as soon you be here as he would you in any other place to be, uh, to entertain yourself or whatever. Amen. So we, he can, he will just lengthen the cord, but we need to be in the business of cutting the cord and severing the cord. Moses was a man after God's own heart. He said, we have to go three days journey into the wilderness. And so now, uh, and now Moses is, is, is staunch on this position. We're going three days. We're, we're, we're going to do this. And so Pharaoh throws one final thing his way. I have really felt the Lord deal with me about this this morning, this one final thing. And so I want you to really hear what the word of the Lord is saying. Pharaoh said, well, in essence, if you're going three days away, if you're going to do what you feel like you need to do, if you're going to answer your God anyway, he said, just pray for me. Now, I'm going to run a risk here of being grossly misunderstood, and I hope that most of you know my heart well enough to know the intentions here. Entreat for me, pray for me. That sounds innocent enough. It even has the overtones of spirituality. But we need to see this for what it is. Because Pharaoh is trying to trap Moses in relationships. Well, you, okay, go. Do what you need to do. Hey, pray for me. That almost sounds like something that's a request a friend would make. That sounds like a request that someone you're in relationship would make, not someone who's trying to take your life, not someone who's trying to utterly destroy you, but he said, pray for me. Amen, sometimes the enemy of our soul, hear me this morning, amen, will bring unhealthy relationships in our life under the cloak of trying to help someone spiritually. Amen. Now, I've got to use a sharp knife and cut delicately right here because we have to be careful, but we have to be wise, wise in our, in our relationships. Amen. Amen. I'm going to say it again. The very moment, that's something I've said over and over and over through the years, but the very moment that the people you are trying to influence have more influence on you than you have on them, it is time at that moment to say, you know what? 
I've got to put some distance between me and this relationship. I've got to do what's in my best interest spiritually for my spiritual health. It's time for separation. Now, I'm just going to bear my soul to you this morning. I'm not batting at the wind. I'm not speaking into the wind today. I speak of something that I personally know something about. I've had to walk away from relationships in, in my lifetime. And I'm going to tell you some that I've had to walk away from nearly cut my heart out. It wasn't with a cavalier attitude that I said, be gone with you and be cursed with you. And, and I walked away and could never think about it again. But people that had interwoven their heart to my heart, their life to my life. This is not too straightforward for you, is it? I mean, you realize in time that this is an unhealthy thing. This is not healthy at all. Whatever I'm doing is not changing the situation at all. As a matter of fact, it's only upsetting the apple cart. And I'm not, I'm not alluding to people were trying, were, were leading me in sin successfully. I'm, I'm not saying that at all, but I had to realize that all of my good is just being taken advantage of. And sometimes people see compassion and mercy and they read that as weakness. Absolutely, read that as weakness. And they will take your kindness and twist that into weakness and they will keep walking further and further and further in your front door, amen, of your home, your heart or whatever. Amen, so here's what, I, I've, I've grieved. I'm, going, I'm being very honest with you. I have grieved to some degree, some, to some degree probably still grieve over some of those lost relationships. But here's what I had to realize as that the enemy was at work in all of this and I had to wash my hands of that. I pray for them and I wish them the very best. I would never curse them. Are you with me now? I pray for them. Some of them are on my daily prayer list. I pray that God would bless them and touch their life and I wish the very best for them. But I'm going to tell you that the enemy was trying to take advantage of my soul. It's a little quiet this morning, but I'm telling you that your pastor's preaching to you. Amen. We got to understand that sometimes we would feel too guilty to sever that relationship and feel like, well, we're the only connection that they have. Let me tell you something, that if you never took another, another breath, the blood is still sufficient and God knows how to build a bridge to somebody's life. Amen, I understand human relationships. I understand human connections, but I can't think, I can't get so pompous as to think that I am someone's only hope. What if something took me off the map tomorrow? What if something sidelined me tomorrow? I've got more faith in God than to think that Steve has the only voice of influence. Amen. So when I realize that, and so I say, Lord, amen, help me. I, 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 I've, got to, I've got to cut this. I've got to sever this. You tell me why else Pharaoh would be saying, pray for me. To build a bridge of relationship. Amen. I'm going to tell you what may happen. When you walk away from someone over standing on principles that might serve as a wake-up call, that they know that you really are going to stand for what is right. Amen. That they're going, you're, going, you're going to hand them another prism to look at life through. That they, they understand you really believe what you're talking about. This is not just something you do on Sunday and Wednesday. You really believe this in your heart. And so I'm preaching this morning, teaching to people that I know have taken a stand. A stand that has cost you relationships. Some of them close. That cut to the very core of your heart. But I'm going to tell you, this is what we have to understand. If people are not willing to make an absolute commitment to God, 
God and to his word and to the kingdom of God, then we have to figure out how to have a relationship around that. Amen. Amen. We've got to figure out how to have a relationship around that. I cannot allow that to, to, to pull me down to where they are. Amen. So we go on. There are more plagues to come. Plagues five, the sixth plague, the seventh plague, the pestilence on the livestock, the boils that were on everyone, the severe hail that came upon them uh, from the sky. Pharaoh's magicians were afflicted and taken out of the picture at this point. Pharaoh was finally starting to crack. In Exodus 10, 8, 9, and 10, Pharaoh wants to know who Moses plans to take with us. So well, he's already kind of come to terms with the idea that Moses and the children of Israel is leaving. And so now he does a little, he does a little inquiring himself. He wants to know who is, are you going to take with you? And Moses quickly let him know that when we leave, we're taking everything. I'm taking the young and I'm taking the old. Exodus 10 and 24, Pharaoh said, you can go and serve the Lord. And, and, and essentially what is unsaid here is you can take your young and you can take your old. But he said, just let your flocks and your herds be kept back. Amen. Now that could have been pretty tempting because now for the first time, he has heard Pharaoh say, you can go. You can get out of here, but I want you to leave your herd and your flocks. And you've heard this before. I've taught on it many times through the years. What Pharaoh was trying to say is you can leave, but I don't want you to take your sacrifice with you. Amen. Don't take anything that you can worship with when you get where you're going. But I'm going to tell you this evening that we've got to take our praise with us. We've got to take our sacrifice with us. That has to come with us. Amen. I have to take that. I have to take that with me. When we have lost everything, I can't lose my praise. I can't lose my worship. I've got to keep what God has given me. I've got to keep possession of that. Amen. Let the spirit of the Lord touch our hearts to realize that there are times that we lose a lot of things. There are times that we lose a lot of things in our life. But you know what? Whenever the children of Israel were being finally led into Canaan land, when they were coming into Canaan, amen, what did the leader of that day say? He said, the Lord said, send Judah first. Am I right? Amen, send Judah first. You gotta take your praise with you. That has got to come with you. Now I know that sometimes us Pentecostals get uh, kind of ear tagged and earmarked as just being kind of uh, way out there emotional and, and uh, all we wanna do is let God hear from us through our praise and our worship. But you see, Judah wasn't the only one that went because they realized we gotta have something more to go with us. And so they said, we're gonna take Simeon with us as well. And Simeon means to listen. Amen, so they didn't just take their praise but they took their listening ear with them. And can I tell you this morning that we can take our sacrifice, we can take our worship, we can take our praise, but when you see someone with their hands lifted and worship going on in the house of God and people that seem like are, are for some all intent and purpose in people, some people's mind out of order, let me tell you something, we're not just praising God willy-nilly. Amen, this is not a man's 
show before God, but I want to take my praise when I send Judah first. I want to make sure Simeon is there. I want to praise God, but I want to listen to him while I'm praising. My praise shouldn't just be about what God hears from me, but my praise ought to also be about what I hear from God. And so let's praise him. Let's worship him and magnify him, but never leave Simeon out of this equation. <laughs> Never leave Simeon at home. I want to have a listening ear. I want to come into this house, stand behind this pulpit. I haven't come here just to talk today, but I want Simeon to stand with me. I didn't come here just to praise. I want Judah with me, but stand Simeon on the other side. I want my voice to be heard, but I want my ear to hear as well. Amen. Life lessons. Life lessons. He said, take the young and old, but leave your sacrifice behind. Amen. No way. No way. First, Pharaoh tries to keep them in the land. Then he tries to keep them near the land. Then he tries to keep part of them in the land. And then he tried to send them out without anything to sacrifice. God told Moses to take the children of Israel three days journey into the wilderness. He wanted a significant distance between the people of Egypt and the people of, 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 of Israel. Amen. I'm telling you today one more time that we are to live in this world but not be of this world. This past Friday night and yesterday, our children's crusade, the theme was stand out. A message to our to our to all of our youth is to stand out. It's all right to stand out. Amen. It's all right to stand out. The Bible calls us peculiar. That doesn't mean a bunch of weirdos and wackos. Amen. But to stand out. What's wrong with being moral in an immoral world? What's wrong with being modest in an immodest world? Pray. Tell me. Amen. Somebody tell me in this house what's wrong with being decent in an indecent world. Amen. What's wrong with having some guidelines in a world that has drawn no lines and taken all fences down? Amen. I say to us again today that if that spirit can happen in the life of anyone, it can happen in the life of me. I'm made of the same fabric and the same material. And so I want to make sure there's some fences in my life. And some doors and some locks. We're not here to worship the lock. Amen. The lock is to protect the treasure inside. I'm not worshiping the fence, not worshiping the gate, not worshiping the lock, but I'm worshiping and I'm in love with the treasure, that Holy Spirit that is in my heart dwelling inside of me. Praise God. 1 Corinthians 5 and 9, Paul said to the church at Corinth, I wrote unto you in an epistle not to company with fornicators. Yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or with idolaters. For then must ye needs go out of the world. But I have written unto you not, not to keep company. If any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner, with such an one know not to eat. Keep a line. A line of distinction. Paul is saying that we should still have influence on unbelievers by all means because the goal of the church is not isolation as some would suggest. Amen. But we have to bring people to where we are not go where they are. 
Amen. That's why all the time to the church I say it doesn't matter who comes into the door of the church. They need help. Amen. They need someone to, to be, uh, they need someone to be a role model, someone to look up to. Amen. And so we don't need to go where they are. We need to hold firm and to take a stand and stand and, and ourselves stand out. And so the goal is not isolation. But I, I would say this, that while we have friends and, and acquaintances in the world, I believe that our closest associates ought to be people in the church. Amen. Without a doubt, our closest network of friends ought to be those in the church. I didn't say that we have no friends outside of that. Nothing can be further from the truth. I have a lot of friends who don't attend any church of any sort. They're, they're, they're my friends, but they're, they're, they're not who I'm planning on going on vacation with. They're not who I'm planning on letting them have my ear and my heart and having access to everything in my life. That's not, that's not the goal or that's not the intention whatsoever. Amen. Our closest friends, people that are that iron, sharpening iron, ought to people, be people of like precious faith that are challenging us. Amen. They're driving us to a deeper consecration with God. Amen. Their, their, their life is challenging us to a greater prayer life and dedication and faithfulness. That's what I want. That's what I want. Amen. As our musicians get ready to come this this morning, amen, I want us to look closely at the instructions of the Lord. He said, three days distance between you and Egypt. And he said, hold a feast unto the Lord. God did not propose to bring his people out out of Egypt and then give them nothing in return. He said, I want you to have a feast. We need to think about this in light of celebration, something wonderful. And here's the problem with a lot of people. They never really make a break from the world and they never feast in the Lord. Because some people hear one thing. They hear what you have to give up and they don't hear what you need to embrace. Amen. I never gave up anything that wasn't unhealthy for me to begin with. But I've embraced a whole lot of things that have been in my, not only my spiritual best interest, but my physical best interest as well. And so I want to not just break a break from the world, but I want to have a feast in the Lord. I want to get everything that I can. But by that, I mean this, that when we fall in love with the Lord, we see the world for what it is. Amen. Amen. And then we long for the things that build us up in the faith. When you see the world for what it is. It's an old illustration, but it just seems as though sin is always painted in the most pristine pictures. The most appealing manner, the most appealing method but nobody shows you behind the other side of that brokenness. The other side of that brokenness. There's an old song that that says this. It says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in light of his glory and grace. What caused the transition? It was turning our eyes to Jesus and look full into his wonder. And when we look fully into his wonder, the things of this world grow strangely 
oddly dim. The things that we once thought we could not live without, do without, all of a sudden have no interest whatsoever. Amen. The things of this world grow strangely dim. They're still there. The potential for temptation is still there, but suddenly it's just not as vibrant because you see things in its proper light. The devil tries to keep us as close to the world as he possibly can somehow and sometimes even trapped in relationships that are unhealthy or trapped in vices that are unhealthy or trapped in some sin that's unhealthy. It may be a small thing, but here's what the devil's counting on. One thing leading to another. A few days ago, we got into a small project around the house and I was talking to somebody and I said, you know how it goes, one thing leads to another and he said, one thing always leads to another. Always. And so you start out doing one thing and the next news you know, everything. Because that is the nature, the nature certainly of sin. Amen. So that's why we have to make a complete break And so I really like what Moses said, and here's what I leave you with today. That when when Pharaoh said, just take the young and the old, but leave the animals, I, I don't think Pharaoh had to look anything up when Moses got through talking. He said, not a hoof shall he left behind. You need to get it in your head, Pharaoh, that when we walk out of here, we're walking out of here, and we're not leaving anything behind. Amen. You see, the problem is some people are trying to live in two worlds. Amen. They have too much of the Lord to be happy in the world and too much of the world to be happy in the Lord. And when you shake their hand, congratulations, you have just, you have just put your hand in the hand of the most miserable person in the world because they can't make up their mind what world we're going to live in. Amen. Maybe God has spoken to us today and maybe there's areas of compromise in our own life that the Lord has talked to us about and maybe we're thinking about that right now. Perhaps even thinking about going back to it and it's a problem, but I'm gonna tell you today, unless we make, unless and until we make a break, a complete break. I got a change of address on this. I got to walk away. And so the, one of the greatest life lessons we can learn from Moses is this that I'm walking out of the world and I'm not leaving a hoof behind. We're taking everything out when we go. We're making a clean break. Can we stand together this morning? Amen. Would the Spirit of the Lord speak to our heart today to make that clean break, to step in as deeply as we possibly can. Amen. Let's magnify the Lord together. Can we do that? In Jesus' name. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening, and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.